0: Tonight, we're going to try and tackle a couple of chapters. We're in that piece of the book of Isaiah that's leading up to the incredible messianic prophecies of chapters 51, 52, 53. And so would you turn to Isaiah 46? As we begin with verse 1, we'll hopefully get to 46 and 47 tonight as they present really again a unified whole. In chapter 46, we get this picture of reminding ourselves that there is exactly one true God. There's the one and only God. There are lots of other gods, little g. The world is filled with them. And so Isaiah is now speaking to the children of Israel, and he's going to give us a few things that uh, without some history we wouldn't know, so I'll share that history with you. And so it begins in verse 1 of Isaiah 46. Bel bows down and, and Nebo stoops. Their idols were on the beasts and on the cattle, your carriages were heavily loaded, a burden to weary the beast. And so you're probably going, well, what does that mean? Well, Bel was the Babylonian sun god, and Nebo was his son. And the children of Israel, as they traveled to Babylon, as they went into captivity, they began to worship these same gods. And so as they would leave the Babylonian captivity, they were taking some of the world with them. Little gods, little carved images of Bel and Nebo. And, and this was a burden to those cattle. It was extra weight. Those gods couldn't do anything. They were deaf, dumb, and blind. Uh, they were pitball wizards. Now, for those of you that remember that song. Oh, they, they, they couldn't do anything. They were incapable of accomplishing a single thing, and yet the people carried their little gods with them. They stooped, they bowed down together, yet they could not deliver the burden, but have themselves gone into captivity. And so here's this picture of this bidirectional thing that happened before the children of Israel left for Babylon the Babylonian influence had caused them to begin to worship these false gods. And these false gods actually traveled with them to Babylon. And when they left Babylon, they would take them back to Jerusalem. And so here's this picture of the uselessness, if you will, of us worshiping false gods. How crazy it is that we begin to worship things that we have to carry around. And so God is going to differentiate here in these two chapters between who he is and what he does and what we as humankind have a tendency to worship. And the Jewish people were just like us in that sense. Uh, we, we live in a world where it's tough to be a follower of Christ, amen? It's, it's kind of hard right now. I've been around a long time. I've walked a long time on this earth and I've watched a lot of people come and go from the church and, you know, they have their little things that they get attached to and their directions that they want to go. And for us who love the Lord, our journey with Jesus, uh, really as far as God's word is concerned, actually includes from the womb all the way to the tomb, does it not? If he numbers your days before you're born, and he alone is the one that appoints that day when you're going to exit the earth, we believe that God has a plan for our lives and it began before we were born and it extends all the way into eternity. But unfortunately, we get impatient on this earth and we begin to follow after the things that are tangible, the things that we can see and they become gods to us. And Jeremiah prophesying at much the same time cried out for the people in Jeremiah chapter two, verse 13 there. He said, for my people have committed two sins. One, they have forsaken me. In other words, they forsook the Lord. The fountain of living water is only one fountain of living water. Amen. There's only one. It's the Lord God of hosts, his Holy Spirit. And they have hewn out for themselves cisterns, cisterns that can't hold water. In other words, They're worshiping the wrong God, and they put that wrong God inside of a false church. That pretty much explains a vast majority of people who are not walking with Jesus tonight. They're worshiping false gods of some kind, and they also are in a false church. That church might be their own mind. That church could be their intellect. A church could be an actual cult. It might be something like Jehovah's Witnesses or perhaps Mormonism. It could be some other religion in that sense. Man's had this problem for a long time. And in fact, we've been created by God to worship. And so we kind of can play into that simply because God created us to worship. It's interesting to me that God created us that way, but we should actually look at it as something that you would expect if a God was going to create us that he wouldn't want us to be alienated from the one who created us. And so he innately puts within us a heart to worship. And what's crazy about the world that we live in, if you actually do a study of world religions in general, just world religions in general, you're gonna find out that in a basic sense, there are about 4,200 or so organized world religions that have some form of a system, in other words, a religious system. And in those 4,200 world religions, there are about six main religious groups that take up a little more than 90% of the world. And in fact, most of the world does worship in some way, shape, or form. But most of the world does not worship worship the one true and the one only God. And so that is visible in our world today. And if you break down Christianity, and for those that believe Roman Catholicism is a portion of Christianity, if you lump biblical Christianity in with Roman Catholicism, that is the world's largest religious group. I personally happen to think they're not the same and so you can divide them up, but nonetheless, those two groups make for the world's largest chunk of worship. After them, you have Islam, or Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism, and that really makes up a vast majority of the world. And each of those, save Judaism, which only has perhaps 8 to 10 million adherents, Islam, Buddhism and Hinduism all have about 1 to 1.3 billion people. Christianity, in all of its forms, is a couple of billion people. And so, when you think of this, it's interesting to me that nobody really on this earth, for the most part, would fall in that category of what we would call atheists. That's a very tiny group of people. Atheists are people that believe in no God. And agnostics just believe they're too smart to believe in anything other than science in a general sense. And so mankind is inherently religious. We all worship. The question is who? The question is what? The the question is not if. And so as I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, when they began to excavate the hill of Ophel, which is this... Part of the Temple Mount that extends uh, below what is traditionally believed to be the Temple Mount itself down into David's city, which is Zion. As they're excavating all these things, as the archaeologists are digging, they just uncover hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these idols, wooden, silver, bronze, that were brought back from Babylon. So here you have this record from more than 2,500 years ago uh, of these false gods that while they're away from Jerusalem, while they're away from the temple, while they're away from systemized Judaism, the Jewish people, instead of bringing their God with them, which was the Lord God Jehovah, they picked up the gods of the Babylonians. And that's what you find. And we kind of sit here today and we almost kind of, you know, some of us who have been a believer for a while, we're kind of like, well, that's nuts. Why would you do that? Well, it's really not all that strange in our world. If you travel down to Mexico and go during the celebration of the, the Virgin of Guadalupe, you're, you, you, you see all kinds of crazy stuff. going to carry her around on a, you know, on a, bring her through the streets, people walking on broken glass on their knees and, you know, claiming that they saw the statue bleed and all, it's just all this stuff. Why? Because deep, 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 deep within every human being is a desire to worship. And so God is addressing that. And so he's going to contrast that now. Notice verse 3. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been upheld by me from birth. There it is. Who have been carried from the womb. In other words, God is God from birth. Interesting. Because this remnant is all that's left of Judaism. Remember, the Assyrians came before the Babylonians. We already saw them. We're now in the period that's marked by the rule of the Babylonians. And so the Assyrians wiped out 10 of the 12 tribes. So if you want to look at it that way, 80%, 90% almost of the children of Israel no longer exist as a people. I'm sure there were some of each of the tribes, a handful here or there, but the children of Israel, the house of Jacob, notice he says the house of Jacob, doesn't say Israel. The house of Jacob would be all of Jacob's 12 sons, all the remnant of the house of Israel. That's the whole group, but only the remnant of it. Just a portion. That's all that's left. The rest were dispersed by the Assyrians, wiped out by the Assyrians, really. And God says, I've been the one that's been upholding you. It looks grim, it looks dire, it looks like you're gone. And here God's making this contrast. He says, look, you've been carrying these false gods While you've been carrying these false gods, I've been carrying you. While you've been worshiping the gods of this world, I've been the one that's kept you alive. I'm the one that watched over you from birth. He's making a distinction. These false gods that you've been carrying that have burdened your animals so that your animals are tired from carrying all of your junk. You can kind of look at it like if you, you know, you ever seen that one strange lady that has the Beanie Babies filling her entire car. You know what I'm saying? You drive, you're like, wow, can she even see out of that car? You know, that. Imagine that in a modern vernacular. Here's this beast of burden that is so stuffed with idols. It's like, I'm gonna cover all my bases. I'm gonna get one of every Babylonian idol I can. I'm gonna stuff my animal so full of it that the animal is bow-legged and stumbling from the weight of the idols. That's what it looks like from God's perspective when we worship the world. We're so weighted down with the things of the world. And talking with people right now, I find myself constantly, saying, Lord, give me some more energy to try and lift this poor person's eyes up to see who you are. Because people are weighted down with the things of the world. God's saying, I'm carrying you. First, here it is, womb to tomb. Even in your old age, I am he, even to your gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made and I will bear. I will carry you and I will deliver you. God's saying, look, here's the difference. False gods are a burden. You carry them. I am the one who created you. I will carry you. That is the functional difference between a believer and a non-believer. Believer believer doesn't have to carry himself. God carries us. An unbeliever has to carry himself. You got to come up with new ideas, fresh things, new ways to get through this stuff. I've talked recently to some people who don't know the Lord that are going through this pandemic, and they are freaking out. I mean, freaking out like out of their mind, freaking out. I don't know what I'm going to do. They're paranoid. I mean they're literally like, what if I get it? You go, know, well, you, you really don't want it. It's not good. It might in fact kill you. It's possible. But for me, I'm like, well, if I die, I go to heaven. But for them, they die. They're just dead. They're dead. And worse yet, because their eternity's not secure. What waits is worse than life. For me, what waits is better than life. So there's a difference in how you handle things like this when God is carrying you. And so my question for you tonight, is God carrying you? Is God carrying you? Do you want a God? Now, now let me ask you a question. You know, Maybe you're here tonight and you don't know the Lord do you really want to worship a God that you have to carry? And I'm not being facetious here. Do you want to worship a God that you have to carry? Because the God of intellect, you have to continue to carry. The God of pleasure, you have to continue to carry. The God of drugs and alcohol, you have to continue to carry. The God of power, out of politics, you have to continue to carry. Those are gods that are not going to carry you, you're going to carry them. Or do you want a God that will support you? When those things that the world throws at you fail, do you want a God that saves you as he did the remnant of Israel and carries you and takes you from the womb? To the tomb, you know. God doesn't stop being your God because you've been naughty. Amen. It's not like Santa Claus. Coal for you, Jeffrey Gill. Oh God, God's going to carry you all the way home. He's not. He's not a part timer. You know, he's not like a hired nanny. It's, well, I'm going to be your God this week, but you know, he didn't die. Sorry. Oh yeah, I I talk to people and they're like they have these concepts of God. That actually stem from our humanity. We call them anthropomorphic views of God. they are things that we would do if we were God. You don't want a God like that. I want a God that can carry me because you know what? I'm going to stumble and fall. I need God to pick me up and carry me. And I'm glad he does. If I had to get through what we're going through right now on my own strength, and you can talk to Connie. And I've had times when my, it's like my chin is on the, it's like, Lord, you need to lift my head. I can't see very straight right now. This is just hard. It's tough. Even as a believer, as a pastor, it gets hard at times. And then God comes along and lifts you up out of that miry clay and says, it's going to be okay. I want a God that's going to bring me out of captivity, not, me, not take me into captivity. Drugs will take you into captivity. Sexual sin will take you into captivity. Politics eventually will take you into captivity. Your mind will take you into captivity. Your sports and recreation will take you into captivity. Once your knees go, you're done. You know, I'm one of those people, I, I haven't quite figured out exactly how old I am yet. Any of you still struggle with that? It's like your brain says you're 30, your body says you're 80. It's like, you're, he's like I can do that. I made the mistake of attempting to run a while ago. No, that's not brilliant at all. But I can say there's a part of my life where it's just like, I can do anything. If it can be done physically, I can do it. If humans can do it, I can do it. That's just kind of how I thought. Now I realize God's got to hold this old carcass together until he gets me home. It's like all of it, my humanity, he even grips and holds. so wonderful to think that God does this all the way from when you're born all the way until you wake up in heaven going, Jesus! Amen? You need to be encouraged by these things. This is a contrast between the gods of this age and Yahweh. The one who created us. Verse 5 To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we should be alike? Isn't it weird when you think about it? If you've ever studied either the Greek or the Roman pantheon, isn't it kind of weird how the gods ended up? They ended up like super humans, right? Right? With human appetites, human desires, human faults, human foibles, human failures, just unlimited power. That basically describes the Greek and the Roman pantheon. It's like Zeus is just like, he's like this perverted dude that sits up on Mount Olympus going, I got that woman. He's got all the cash, he's got all the power, he exerts his pleasure as he desires. That's just a person turned into a God. It's exactly what it is. It's the highest category of elev- elevating mankind, if you will, to some superhuman status. You ever noticed how they always make mistakes? Our God doesn't make mistakes. Our God doesn't have bad days. He doesn't wake up, she's like, "Yeah, I'm sending Hades to wipe him out. He doesn't do that. What kind of God figure would you make? You know what's really weird? You're going to find out. I don't know if you ever think, think through these things sometimes. How would you handle that if you were God? It's a neat question to ask yourself. Don't carry it too far because you're not God. Okay? But it is an interesting question to ask yourself when you come upon these difficult situations that you see in Scripture, just ask yourself, well, what would I do if I were God in that situation? You know what's really weird? Is you insert yourself into that equation. Well, if I were God, I would, and then fill in the blank. Like child molesters, they're all dead. You, if I were God, every time I hear of a child molester, that's just gonna be an instantaneous, he's gonna touch the child and then get vaporized. That's just that's the way I would work it out. You know, I'm really glad that God doesn't work that way, because child molesters need an opportunity to be saved as well. I wouldn't save them. Just saying, I wouldn't. I have a little I have a little thing there. Why? I was molested as a child. Like you touch me, sorry, you're dead. Goodbye. See, so I would make a God in my own image if I were given that opportunity and I weren't Jeff who is a follower of Jesus. If I was just Jeff, oh, it's not gonna be good to have me as God. It's not. And I think if you're honest, be honest with yourself, you would recognize that you would do a crummy job of being God as well. That's why we want Yahweh Lord of hosts as the one and only true God I don't want Artemis, Diana of Ephesus. I don't want Zeus. I sure don't want to have Hades. I don't want to be Ra, the sun god of the Egyptians. You see, I, I want to worship the one true God because he is gracious and kind, and he's not like me. doesn't he have any of my faults, none of my weaknesses. It's interesting, even in First Nations, Native American cultures, almost without exception, there is a creator God. Almost without exception, there is a creator God within every Native people's story. Almost without exception. Matter of fact, I don't personally know of an exception. Because I don't know all Native peoples, I'm just saying maybe there is one, but I don't know of one. Why is that? because they firmly believed in a creator. You know why that is? Because God has imparted that to us, the book of Romans declares, so that when we see creation, we would look for him. And that is true with almost every major people group on the face of the earth. We have a tendency to look at people who don't know the Lord yet, and we kind of think, just like the Jewish people did. Well, they're Gentiles. They're heathens. But God imparted to them an understanding that, they would, un, that they, would, they would look at what's around them and go, hmm, how did this get here? Don't think it made itself. So God never intended us to worship trees. Never intended us to worship the creation itself. He intended us to see the creation and go, who made that? Hence the story of the great creator. It's there. It's innate. It's internal. Verse seven reads, and they bear it on the shoulder and they carry it and they set it in its place and it stands from its place and it shall not move and though one cries out to it, it cannot answer Nor can it save him out of his trouble. You see, so there's where those little fetishes of a bear, those little carved images of some type of a kachina doll or a tree spirit or some other part of something that God intended for us to go. How did that bear get here? What is it that I'm seeing in my dreams? Why is it that that tree can stand there? It's hundreds of feet tall, but it looks like it's barely attached to the ground, and yet when hurricane force winds come, it still stands. It's supposed to stimulate our mind so that we go, who's behind that? And yet the Jewish people carried their God on their shoulders. They put it in a place They created what I like to call the bathtub Jesus effect. I've traveled around in Central America, Latin America, and it's interesting. There's almost always an old bathtub that's turned and buried partway in the ground, and then there's Mary. And people come and worship. That's not God, it's a statue. That's not a shrine that's a bathtub. They had the same problem with the Jewish people. They're carving their gods, they stand it in place, they bow down to it and worship the word "Dishkah. They bowed down prostrate on the ground, and they worshiped it. And it didn't do a thing. It's exactly why Romans 1 says this, verse 18. See, some of us worship Charles Darwin. Probably some of you have been around long enough to have a ichthus a fish on the back of your car. You know, we have Calvary Chapel doves. And we have all kinds of things. We have not of this world. We have all kinds of Christian things. I'll never forget the first time that I was driving, I go, oh, look, they're a Christian. I looked at it, and and it actually didn't have Jesus in there, X, Y, X, O. It had Darwin. And I noticed that the fish had feet. And I'm like, hmm, I'm pretty sure that's not it. Verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them. It's internal. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of this world, invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that were made. In other words, creation itself. Even his eternal power and his Godhead. So that they are, check this out, without excuse. In other words, by simply viewing the creation God internally placed within you the ability to look at creation itself and ask about the invisible things. How did that get there so that humankind is actually without excuse purely from seeing God's creation? Because although they knew God, hence the creation story, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful. But became futile in their thoughts. Their foolish hearts were dark and professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God. Here it is. This is you and me making God in our own image. Changed the incorruptible image of God and made him like corruptible man. There's Zeus. There's Neptune. There's Poseidon. There's Hades. There's Diana, Artemis. There's Ra like some kind of supercharged person. And the birds, four-footed animals and creeping things. There's the Charles Darwin fish. I'm going to worship long periods of time and random chance processes. Darwinian evolution. We don't need God. It can all happen by itself. Just give blue-green algae a chance in 13.6 billion years, you got it. And therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness. You see, this is why people sin. When you make your own God, the next thing you will do is create your own way to worship. When you make your own God, the next thing you will do is create your own way to worship. So how do you worship? By doing what makes your God seem important. So if your God is money, what do you do? You buy stuff. If your God is physical pleasure, you engage in promiscuity. If your God is your mind, you get two or three more degrees, and you debate everybody about everything. Notice what happens in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. In other words, it eventually affects the whole of you, the thing that God carries, who exchange the truth of God for a lie. There's Darwinian evolution right there truth of God for a lie, worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The Apostle Paul knew exactly what was going on as he crafted those words to set up the book of Romans. People are still worshiping at the God of pleasure That pleasure eventually turns into lust and all kinds of evil things. People are still worshiping the God of intellect, which eventually becomes the God of pride. People are still worshiping power, which ends up in their greed and their abuse of that power. You see how it works? You see, it shouldn't surprise us that people in high places who exercise their authority without Christ as center abuse that power. What the book of Romans declares that will happen without Christ, you are worshiping a false God. Problem is, you may not know it. And so, Isaiah moves us to this place of asking us a question God really writing through Isaiah, asking us this question Can your God do this? Remember this. Show yourselves, men. Recall to mind, you. Transgressors, remember the former things of old. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there's none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand forever. I will do all my pleasure. He's saying, Look, this is a challenge. This is God through the prophet Isaiah saying, Can you do this? And what is it? Tell the future. with 100% accuracy. Give the story of mankind before it happens. Tell exactly what's going to happen with Cyrus the Mede. Calling a bird of prey from the east, a man who executes my counsel, he's already told us it's Cyrus, from a far country, indeed I have spoken it, I will also bring it to pass, I have purposed it and I will do it. Back in chapter 45, we learned that God was sending Cyrus to do his bidding. This is before the Medes and the Persians were a power in the Middle East. That would happen about 150 years later. They were there, they were a people. But God is saying, Can you do this? Can you accurately predict what's going to happen in the future? 150 years, in fact, before Cyrus would actually get to Babylon. The reason God is doing this is he's challenging everybody. He says, look, what can your God do? Can your God save you? You know, when you talk to people who are in the throes of drug addiction, they know pretty quickly that their God can't deliver them. They just don't know how to get out of it. They don't know who to turn to. They don't know where to go. They've been worshiping that god for so long that that methamphetamine has become their god. They worship there. And the same thing is true for virtually everything that becomes a god in our life. Look, what you pay your time, your talent, your treasure to, that's your god. How you invest yourself. Where you invest yourself. That's your god. So if you spend all of your time, talent, and treasure, everything that basically makes up you, because that's what you do with things that matter, right? If something matters to you, any of you ever notice, any, anybody else here an REI junkie? I, I, I go there, I, I've been shopping at REI since the 1960s, okay? I'm one of those people. It's like I still have a couple little stuff sacks from backpacking and I hide them so that they can't be thrown away. They're from Recreational Equipment Incorporated. I remember saving every penny I have. I'm going to go get the next backpacking thing. I remember doing that. It's like I would save and save and save and save and save. It's like I'm going to get to go to the Sierras. I'm going to buy another down sleeping bag. Time at work. Talent. Talent what I produce with my life, my treasure, the paycheck. Invested because for a while, it's like, man, this is this is how I worship. Couldn't wait. And some of you are saying, well, you know, I don't do that. Really? What about sports? And you're probably saying, he did not just say that. <laughs> can sports become a false god? Yes, it can. You don't have time for God because you're too tuned in to whatever's happening in professional sports. That's a false god. Doesn't mean sports are bad, by the way. You guys know me. I believe blue. We're, we're okay there. Okay, check out this shirt right here. This is Dodger blue. Okay, but I don't worship my shirt. I worship the one true God. That's why you won't find me in a Dodger game on Sunday. That's why I actually have to turn off the notification on my watch so I'm not interrupted. Belly just got a hit. You can become a God. You have to be careful. There's only room for one. But Cyrus did come. In fact, the book of Ezra reports that for us. Ezra chapter one, beginning in verse two, thus says Cyrus, the king of Persia all the kingdoms of the earth has Jehovah. Check that out. Now remember, he's not a believer. He's being used by God, but he knows the true God when he sees him. The God of heaven has given me and he has charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem. This is a heathen king. This is how powerful God is relative to the God's, little g, of the earth, which is in Judah. And whoever, whosoever, there among you of all of his people, his God will be with him. Let him go to Jerusalem. This is Cyrus the Mead fulfilling the prophecy of Daniel and sending the children of Israel back to rebuild Jerusalem. The God of Israel, he is God, which is in Jerusalem. Whoever And is left in any place, where he sojourns, let the men of this place help him with silver and gold and all of his goods with beasts and besides the free will offering for the house of God which is in Jerusalem. God prophesied of that event specifically called Cyrus by name, named him and that is recorded in the annals of the Babylonian people. Also here in our Bible. God says, can you do that? Now, we as people can't even predict who's gonna win the World Series, right? Like, we're, we're like, yeah, we got this. What happened last year? I mean, we're all like, we, we bought the hats, the whole thing. Like, ooh, that's bad. Listen to me back to our... Chapter 46, you stubborn hearted who are far from righteousness. I bring my righteousness near and it shall not be far off. My salvation shall not linger. I will place salvation in Zion for Israel is my glory. He's saying, look, I'm doing these things. Those are going to be my people. You need to hear what they have to say. Now you know why scripture declares to us that the gospel was for the Jew first than the Gentile. God gave them the gospel. Jesus was Jewish. He was a rabbi. He was from a Jewish home. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was of the lineage of David. You see, when God promises their salvation, their righteousness... He placed it in Zion, and it's still placed in Zion. I don't know if you caught it today. Our Secretary of State was actually standing on top of Mount Bental, which we've been there with our tours, exact same spot, looking over into Syria and going, this is the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's right. Even though the world is still calling that occupied territory, everybody but the United States, basically. One of those things that I've been proud of our president for. Got that one right. It is God's land, and he gave it to the Jewish people as a perpetual inheritance. It's what his word says, and he's the one true God, and at the end, guess what? He's going to be proven to be absolutely 100% accurate. Amen? Amen? So God says, in light of that, chapter 47, come, come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit in the ground without a throne, you daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no longer be called tender and delicate. He's basically mocking the women of Babylon. They were known at that time to be the most beautiful women in the world. It's like you're going to be sitting in dust without a place to live and you're not going to be beautiful anymore. Take the millstones and grind meal. Have any of you seen what's going on in Iraq right now? It is misery on top of misery on top of misery. It is hellish there. And since the fall of Babylon the people in that region, formerly the Chaldeans, then the Babylonians, conquered by the Medes and the Persians. That's why there is a war between Iran and Iraq. You have the Persians in one place, and you have the Babylonians in the other, effectively. Shia and Sunni. You have these two factions of Islam that are battling it out. God says they're they're never going to recover from this. It isn't going to happen. They'll have times when their power will come and go. But take the millstones, grind meal, remove your veil, take off your skirt, uncover your thighs. This is unthinkable in that time. When you travel to the Middle East, if you you find women who are Muslim, and they're a strict Muslim, they, they wear the full burqa. It just got a little eye In fact, the hair of a woman was considered to be so beautiful that if a man gazed on it, he wouldn't be able to control himself. And, and so here is this picture of literally stripping them naked. Your nakedness shall be uncovered. Yes, your shame will be seen. I will take vengeance and I will not arbitrate with man. Think of that one. You see, the problem that exists in the Middle East is an ongoing problem that God himself actually set in place about 2,500 years ago. There has never been equity. There has never been peace since that time. There's never been a regime that took care of its people. It doesn't exist even in the best of places right now, and I'm not, I'm not picking it all on Arab nations right now. Many of them are beautiful, wonderful people people we should pray for daily. But equity? I don't have any. You, you talk about women's rights. Women have no rights, none in the Middle East. Zero, their property. They're actually chattel. Whether you know it or not, men can still marry multiple wives legally in most of those countries. God said, I'm going to uncover them. I'm going to make it miserable. You're not going to be the eternal queen forever that we see in verse 7. My lady forever is what it says there in the NIV, the queen actually. God judged them. God judged their occult practices. And then almost a thousand years later comes the prophet Muhammad and Islam. It didn't get better. It got infinitely worse. And again, there are many wonderful, kind Muslim people. But it hasn't been good for that region. It hasn't been fair. It hasn't been equitable. It's been painful and costly and remains so to this day. The difference between the standard of living in Israel where Yahweh is still worshipped and living next door in Jordan is mind-boggling. The difference between an Arab settlement when you travel there and an Israeli settlement is mind-boggling. Exact same ground, same tax money. Israel pays the Palestinians to live inside of the occupied territories. They get subsidies. But there's constant constant struggle, constant strife, constant riots, constant evil, constant disadvantage to the very people that they're purporting to try and set free. The PLO has done nothing but take the people's money and stash it away for a handful of people like Yasser Arafat who died with billions of dollars of wealth. while the Palestinian people that he supposedly was trying to set free were dying of starvation. Not so in Israel. It's real hard to find genuine poverty amongst the Jewish people. Why? Because they have Yahweh's values. They believe in family. They believe that everyone has an obligation to take care of his neighbor. God set that in place. And so God was judging this region of the world. Babylon was going to conquer the Jewish people for a time, but then God was going to conquer Babylon. And God remains the conqueror. You remember the original Gulf War? You remember what happened? Saddam Hussein decided he was going to launch his Scud missiles. And he fired dozens of them Israel's way. Israel laughed at those missiles. A couple of them landed in the general vicinity. 1986, Israel launched an air raid, an airstrike from its own territory and destroyed Saddam Hussein's nuclear reactor in a single strike. They flew across the entire Iraqi desert, bombed the reactor at Osirak and returned unscathed. We'll get you. You notice who's still alive? God pronounced judgment, and that judgment today still holds. God said, I'm going to use you, but you better turn to me. And what's insane is there are so many Christians in that region of the world. You don't hear about it because they pay such a horrible price for following Christ. We think that meeting outdoors, oh my goodness, we're going to die. If they meet at all, they will literally die. There are places in the Middle East where it's still a capital crime to even profess Christ publicly. God's gonna meet with them in judgment. Verse four, As for our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts is his name, the Holy One of who? Israel. Check that out. He stole the Holy One of Israel. That's why we are in this church definitely friends of the Jewish people, friends of Israel. Because that same God is our God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is our God. Same God. Sit in diligence and silence and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no longer be called the Lady of Kingdoms, I was angry with my people and have profaned my inheritance and given them into your hand and showed mercy, no mercy on them. On the elderly, you laid your yoke very heavily. Babylonians weren't kind and God hasn't forgot it. He just asked them to take them into captivity. did not ask them to mistreat them. And you said, I shall be a lady forever. There it is, the queen, if you will. That's eternal queen. is a way to render that from the Hebrew. So that you did not take these things to heart nor remember them later, the end of them. Therefore, now hear this. You who were given to pleasures. Always some of you have, read of the legend. We, we're not quite sure archaeologically if it's, if it's true or not, though Herodotus and his histories did write of the Hanging gar- Gardens of Babylon. We're not quite sure. We haven't been able to find the, the ruins of those and they should be visible in Babylon. But this area of the world was the cradle of civilization. This was the hot spot. This was where you, if you were wanted to be a civilized human being, it was here or China. That was it. Egypt was waning. This was it gardens, farming, plenty of food. Therefore, hear this now who are given the pleasures, who dwell securely, who say in your heart, I am, and there's no one besides me. When you make yourself God, that's what that statement is. When you make yourself God, you are in trouble. I shall not sit as a widow, nor shall I know the loss of children. Look at that region of the world today. Look at what's going on in Yemen and Oman. Parts of Kuwait, though Kuwait and certainly the Saudis have have done a much better job of taking care of their people. Parts of Iran even. But for the most part, that region of the world is a place where women are devalued, Many are widows. People have very little human rights, if any, in some places. It's ruled by warlords, there's shakedoms and fiefdoms. What God said is true. You can go see it today. But these two things shall come to you in a moment, in one day, the loss of children, widowhood, and shall come upon you in their fullness, because of the multitude of your sorceries, for the great abundance of your enchantments, for you have trusted in your wickedness and have said, No one sees me. Be very careful, church. Because God sees everything. He sees everything, he knows why you do what you do, he doesn't just see everything. He knows the motivation behind everything, which is an even deeper thought process. Your wisdom, your knowledge have warped you. Have twisted your mind is another way to understand the the Hebrew words that are there. Have warped your thinking. Have twisted your ability to cognate, to actually bring to fruition a thought out of these things. It's so twisted that you don't even see the truth, and you've said in your heart, I am, and there's no one besides me. You know, there's going to come a point in time, and for sake of time, I'll not delve too much into it tonight, when God's judgment falls on this earth, that Babylon is going to be the brunt of it once again. And again, for sake of time, we'll not delve into it. We'll get into it a little bit more next time. But Ezekiel 38 paints this picture of the very last days, this Gog-Magog conflict that occurs. And it's interesting that the nations that are named there are primarily most of Russia and almost all of the Middle East and part of North Africa. That's strange. Because that is the area of the world that today is still stricken by poverty, ruled by Islam, governed by sheikhs, very small groups of people with almost unbridled, unlimited power and wealth. They think they have it going on, but their people suffer. God is saying, be careful when you say that you're God, when no one can touch you. Matthew 25 verse 32 says this, I'll gather them together, the nations for judgment, and separate them as a shepherd, separate sheep from goats. And on the right, I'll say, come and be blessed with the Father and inherit the kingdom. Why? For when I was hungry, you fed me. And when I was thirsty, you gave me drink. Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? Inasmuch as you did it to the least of my brethren you did it to me. God hates literally hates inequity. He hates injustice. And he's going to square away every last bit of it. And countries that are built on it should be very very afraid of the judgment of the Lord. It should drive people to their knees. It should cause them to say, "Man, I don't want to I don't want to be in that kind of trouble with the Lord." This is the same picture that we saw in the book of Daniel, by the way. You remember, you know, Nebuchadnezzar's like, man, nobody's going to touch me. I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to get to do this. And God says, meanie, meanie, tackle you farsen. Your kingdom has been weighed in the balance. is found wanting. And this night your soul is going to be taken from you and your kingdom is going to be divided between whom? The Medes and the Persians. So God, through the prophet Isaiah, tells of the story that is in Daniel before it happens. Because guess who came and took the city? Guess who was responsible for the death of Nebuchadnezzar? Cyrus the Mede, the Persians. They're the ones that came into Babylon. They're the ones that took the city through the diverted river Euphrates. Cyrus, the king of Persia, comes through the walls underneath the gates of the city and basically God's saying, look, I hate inequity. Let me make sure you understand this. I'm going to tell you the future in advance. This is what's going to happen. You watch and see if it comes. So many times we think that we fooled God. We think we've pulled one over on him. And if you remember, Nebuchadnezzar was told, the watchers are watching. They see you. They know what you're doing. They know that those are the implements that were stolen from the temple in Jerusalem. You may want to think twice about defiling those. God sees everything, everything you're going through, everything you've ever been through. every abused child, everything that's been unfair, everything that's been unjust, and every time you've given a cup of cold water in His name, and every time you fed somebody when they were hungry. He sees all of it. And he misses nothing. You see, Nebuchadnezzar in making his golden idol thought he was making an idol that was basically himself. He said, Look at me. But he wasn't. And his life was required of him. And in fact, at the end of Nebuchadnezzar's life, you remember what happened to him? He went insane. He went out in the field like a wild beast. And yet God's kingdom still reigns on earth, doesn't it? We're testimony to that. That's why we're still here. Babylonians, not so much. Persians, not so much. Assyrians, not so much. Romans, oh, again, not so much. Greeks, mm -mm, not them either. The Gauls, nope. The Diceans? Nope. The great Ming dynasty? Nope. The shoguns of Japan? Nope. They've all gone to the pages of history. But our God still reigns. He's still the one true God. He's still the only God. In that sense, God always wins. He's always the winner. And therefore, evil shall come upon you. You should not be known from where it arises. Trouble shall come from afar. It will not be, you will not be able to put it, put it off. Desolation shall come and it will come suddenly, which you shall know. Stand now with your enchantments, the multitude of your sorceries, in which you have labored from your youth, And perhaps you'll profit, perhaps you'll prevail. You're wearied in the multitude of your counsels. Now let your astrologers, your stargazers, your monthly prognosticators, you know, isn't it weird that in the world that we live in, people still look at horoscopes in a newspaper? It's like, what in the world? Stand up and save you from what shall come upon you. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar didn't work out so well. All the kingdoms of the earth hasn't worked out so well. Everyone that's ever come against our God has not worked out so well. The Jewish people look like they were wiped out. What happened to them? Hmm, strangely, they're still here. See, I wonder how that happened. They occupy the same land, the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're the most powerful nation in the Middle East. Hmm. God sees. God is just. God is always, always, always the winner. You know, the Bible actually plainly declares that in the last days, God is going to give people over to delusion. That they might believe the lie rather than the truth. And I I believe that we have reached that place and so sometimes I'll, I'll have conversations with people and they'll oh, I don't believe in God. And I'll ask them why. You know, I, I get some of the strangest reasons. Well, he's been scientifically proven to not exist. I go, really? What part of science would you like to talk about? Astrophysics, physics itself, astronomy, biology. Which part? And they'll usually kind of go, well, well, somebody said. That's a delusion, that's a lie. That's just a flat out lie. It's that simple. Science has not disproven God, period. End of conversation. We'll share some more on that next time. The problem is if you believe that long enough, just exactly as Romans 1 says, you end up with a reprobate mind. You end up with a mind that can't believe. Instead of one that won't believe yet, it was one that can't believe. Verse 14, as this chapter ends, we managed to do it. Behold, they shall be a stubble. The fire shall burn them. They will not deliver themselves from the power of the flame. Shall not be a coal to be warmed by, nor a fire to sit before. In other words, The fires of hell burn eternally hot, and they're incessant. Thus shall they be to you with whom you have labored, your merchants from youth. They shall wander each one to his quarter, and no one will save you. That's God pronouncing a judgment on Babylon. The book of Revelation finishes that judgment, by the way. Plainly declares the same truths, but in a much more descriptive way. God always wins. So the message to us is: as we wrap this up, don't be foolish. <laughs> don't believe that God doesn't see. Don't believe he's not there, because he is. There are so many proofs for the existence of God that to me it's, it's, it really is foolish to not believe in God. You have to be blind. You have to just turn a blind eye to things that plainly point towards a creator. And God's going to reinforce that in the next chapter. So don't be foolish. You don't want to end up in where these people ended up, in a fiery pit. Waiting judgment. You want to walk in grace and receive his mercy. Amen? amen father amen amen father we thank you for the truth of your word for the power that it has to instruct us in our day and time lord we are so grateful god for you that that you are the same yesterday today and forever you're not like bell you're not like nebo we don't have to carve you out of wood or shape you out of silver You are the true and the living God, the one who was and is and is to come, the immutable one, the one who never changes, the one who's always true, the one who's never spoken a falsehood, the one who loves us. And Lord, we just pray for those that are here tonight, and maybe you're struggling. God, as we turn our eyes upon Jesus, as we look full in your wonderful face, Lord, the things of this world do grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. And we thank you for that, God. We thank you for heaven, the promise of heaven, the promise of eternal life that comes to us who believe in you, Jesus, by grace and through faith. We worship you, King Jesus, and you alone. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.